This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Welcome back to Kelly and Ramia. Grant Hardy filling in for Ramia Amadin with Kelly McDonald today. One of the easiest things to cut back on is Uber and del- del- food delivery apps. And we were just talking about this before the break. But Kelly, you have a little bit of a more dramatic reason to cut back on it besides money. Yeah, well, you know, recently I had to have, have a conversation um, about, you know, things like cockroaches, bed bugs, with somebody who handles disposal. And one of the things they said that a lot of people don't realize is when we do our ordering of foods, we don't know where the bags have come from, where they've been sitting. And of course, unfortunately, restaurants do have to have pest control in on a regular basis. And sometimes things ride to your house on those items, whether they've come from the delivery car, the home of the delivery driver, or the restaurant itself. And uh, sometimes you get a little surprise. Plus, our grocery bags, right? The reusable. We're all big on the reusable, but a lot of time we forget to take care of those bags afterward. And probably the best ones are the ones that as soon as we finish emptying it, we can run it right to the washer and, and wash it out because our little friends that like to hang out on vegetables or around them while they're sitting in trucks and so on and in the back before they're brought out and hosed down and so on. They travel as well. And sometimes we don't even think about them laying there in the bottom of the bag. We roll it up, close it up. And they just love it. It's a party for them. Yeah, that's not and ideal. That's no, absolutely no, not, not fun either. <laughs> not fun, not ideal, especially thinking about those shared spaces, those delivery cars, wherever, where you have no control over. I think I'm going to go back onto the Kelly and Ramia podcast, which you can subscribe to in all of your favorite podcast apps. I'm going to find all of Mary's segments, and I'm going to finally do some uh, adulting and uh, go through them, make notes. Learn how to cook, because I've got another it, reason yeah, to back on my It's delivery. a tough one, Grant, isn't it? Because you <laughs> want to live. People, it's it, these are great services, and it's not always that way. And I, I understand those of us who may not be able to see, may not be able to catch something like that, or take a look and say, hey, whoa, what was that? What is that there? Um, even, you know, as you're shopping or that kind of thing, you just have to put a lot of trust in what you're doing and do the get the measures that you can do the best you can. But, uh, you know, they used to say, you know, cockroaches would come in on laundry if people had to use laundry mats or share a laundry in a building but i think sometimes you got to think about our foods too where we don't even realize and they get in and you know okay so one gets in never one they'll multiply quick enough in an hour there's more than that i'll say i'll say they're definitely kind of out of sight out of mind for me not something i really think about me or too. know that much about <laughs> and speaking of that i feel like there are one or two more things like that that we just don't always have the correct concept about what it is and that's where christine Melek comes in she is joining us now for curious minds i'm christine Malik, and this is curious minds our dive into arts culture and science from a blindness perspective hey christine welcome to the program thank you so last time you were on, I, ble- I was on for this segment, I believe, as well. And we talked about uh, ancient irrigation systems. And now we're going to talk about aqueducts, kind of a tongue twister, that word. And how do the two connect? 
well, they connect in a few ways, technology and sociology. So the, the sociology I'm going to just sort of touch on because I think it's really important. And then we talked about this in irrigation too, that when people work together, they can achieve more. And so we have this kind of social contract that we make where we agree to abide by the laws and customs of where we live and treat people in a, you know, a good way and in exchange and pay taxes. And then in exchange, we get hmm. things like roads and emergency services and libraries and things like social safety networks. And so the, the connection that I'm making is that aqueducts are a really interesting example of this. And the first Roman aqueduct was in Rome in 312 BC. So this is a technology that they had. And as they conquered different parts. They had a huge empire. That was one piece of technology that came with them. And so, although, I mean, this is a big subject of debate, but no one wants to be conquered by an empire. But once you are, one of the benefits is that you get things like aqueducts and roads. And so mm -hmm. that's the sociological connection is that we get things that are bigger than us when we cooperate together as a society. Um, the other obvious overlap is technology. So irrigation systems were specifically about getting water to uh, arable to make land more arable. Aqueducts were a lot more about getting water to cities and for uses other than agriculture. They they were used for agriculture and industry as well. But in into the major cities of the Roman Empire, they were used for public fountains, which meant that you didn't have to trudge, you know, three kilometers to the river or however far it was to get fresh water. You had water to scour uh, sewer systems, latrines. Mm -hmm. You had uh, public baths, which was a big feature. Again, one of those things like it's it sucks to be conquered by Rome, but then you get public baths and that's pretty good. And if you're wealthy enough, you could have water right into your home. And so we think of these as modern innovations. Uh, but as with irrigation systems, the Romans were doing this using what they had to hand, which was gravity, the lay of the land and um know-how and some materials. They The Romans had concrete. And so what we're talking about is using gravity to get fresh water from higher elevations to lower elevations. And you can do this in a concentrated way, which means you can support a concentrated population of a lot of people. So what this looks like is often, like irrigation systems, they were often underground. Um, the pipes or channels might be stone or brick or ceramic or lead, and it was using gravity. So the tunnels might be underground. If there was mountains in the way, they might move around. They would construct around natural landforms where they could. But the evidence that we have today of it is when it had when the aqueducts had to cross a lowland like a valley or a river, and that's where you get uh, some of the images we're going to look at in a minute, which are sort of bridge-like arches that supported a big channel of water. And so along this channel, you would have control mechanisms like sluice gates or sediment sort of tanks where the water would sit for a bit and things could settle out of it. Um, and that's that's sort of how it was con uh, controlled. Um, and this, so this became a kind of a symbol of, of Roman civilization that a lot of people liked. And it did definitely improve the quality of life. When you can scour your latrine systems, when you can bring fresh water uh, to yes. your people, yeah, that's huge. That's yeah, huge. Yeah. And 
Um, one thing I want to say, and I, I should preface every segment by saying this, my segments aren't so much about me educating people. It's about a, a, how a blind person with a curious mind learns. And so there's a really high chance that I get some of this stuff wrong, especially when it comes to images, because what I've started doing as anyone who's attended the last few is uh, watched the last few segments is using AI to describe some uh, some photos and AI gets it wrong. AI does get it wrong yeah. sometimes. <laughs> it, it, it's very interesting, especially this subject. Like, it's the curiosities of things we either don't perceive because we weren't there, don't really have that concept. And again, as we talked, Chris, before, you can't pick it up in your hands and examine it like we can. Somebody right. can make a model for us, but to really uh -huh. get that idea, what do you mean the sediment sits there? Why? Why? How come? Yeah. Because the way the land works. <laughs> or when you think of the people, the engineers, all right, go out and find out how we're going to get that water 15 miles away to hear, mm -hmm. do it, mm -hmm. go figure it out. And in 20 years, once you're done, once we're done figuring it out and building it, we'll have water here. It's so amazing. Um, let's get into these pictures that you've got because you've got a few for us. Uh, what's your first one? The first one is, uh, some. so some of these still exist as bridges and arches. So this one is from uh, a, a area near Rome. So we have a photo with some AI generated description. So let's give a look and a listen to that. stretching across a green field. The sky above is a vibrant blue with wispy clouds. The aqueduct is made of weathered stone and stands out prominently against the natural landscape. The grass in the field appears well kept and is a bright shade of green, suggesting it might be spring or summer. The series of arches, constructed from stone, would have supported a channel or conduit on top where water was transported from a distant source. The robust construction ensured durability and the ability to span long distances without the need for pumping technology. The water channel that would have run along the top of the aqueduct is not visible in the image. It is likely that only the supporting arches remain, which is common with ancient aqueducts where the upper structure has been lost or destroyed over time. So you can see here what a massive undertaking this would have been. And you can't do this oh. with like, you know, a small village of people. It requires mm. lots of infrastructure to build. So, um, when, anything when you... there that puzzles you, like such as the, like when you hear that description, Chris, um, the arches, or do you wonder, I, I find myself with the descriptions, how high? Now, obviously, they're going to vary. You know, one the one yes, next to it might yes, be 10 yes. feet, the one next to it, because it has to do the sloping a little bit, might be nine and a half or, or, or higher. It's true. I was lucky enough once to get my hands on a 3D model of a bridge. And so I got to understand that the bridge is the flat part and the arches are what support it. And so what it is, is a series of arches placed snugged up right side by side. And for if you're a, a physics person or an architecture person, you understand that this is an effect, efficient way to distribute weight. So how yeah. high they are, how thick they are, those are details that you know I don't have. Uh, but obviously, it's a dominant figure in the landscape, and so obviously they must be strong enough to that they've survived. You know, two thousand oh, yeah. and tampering and another an enemy tampering. army coming along right. and destroying or whatever. Right? Sorry, Grant, go ahead. So the arches are essentially dare i say like kind of like support poles yes. like something to anchor yeah. from the ground to the to hold up the rest of the structure yeah, yeah so it's easy to imagine pillars that would just support right. it but instead of having two pillars 
um, contacting, if you stretch it over and make a, a two pillars that join in an arch, you get this, the weight is distributed better and a little more broadly. And so what you would have is the bridge or the aqueduct resting on the tops of all of these arches that are placed side by side by side. So if you looked at it, you would see a series of sort of pillars snugged up against each other with a curved space in between them. Got it. We've got so, a, yep. Yeah, we've got, I got a few other examples. So we'll see what we have time for. But these yeah, were, got a few so minutes. these were, yeah, these were all over the, the Roman Empire. And so uh, then the next one I have is from Segovia, Spain. So uh, similar, but let's give another look and listen. The aqueduct in Segovia, Spain, is a Roman era feat of engineering. It consists of two tiers of tall arches stacked upon each other. The lower tier comprises smaller arches, while the upper tier has larger arches that carry the water channel at the top. The entire structure is built from large, precisely cut granite blocks, assembled without the use of mortar. The aqueducts would have worked by transporting water from a source, such as a river or spring, to the city. The structure uses gravity to move water along the channel at the top of the upper arches. The water would flow from the countryside into the city. The gradient of the aqueducts was carefully calculated to ensure the water kept moving but did not flow so fast that it would erode the channel or spill out. And so we don't need to get to... Yeah, we've got a couple minutes here, so really quick... Yeah. Yeah. I just, um, so the water got used in the ways I've described, but also for like milling and some, some industries that didn't, that didn't destroy the water, they could reuse it. And um, I, I just love thinking about these systems because they're massive examples of human ingenuity and what people can do when they cooperate with a good idea in mind, which is improving public health and public convenience and quality of life. I'm all about, pub, yeah. you know, I'm not sure about the public baths part, but I really like having hot and cold yeah, water in my Exactly. <laughs> well, and you wonder what else it was used kind of for by the design of it to keep, you know, for travelers, for anything else that they could have in certain ways. Let's check the last one you got chris this one's from what from france from france from pontigard france let's check this out the picture shows an ancient roman aqueduct with three tiers of arches standing majestically over a river the structure is made of light tan stones and the lowest tier consists of larger more robust arches that touch the water the middle tier has slightly smaller arches and the top tier the smallest the sky is a clear blue and the surrounding landscape is lush with greenery the river below reflects the aqueduct and the trees on its banks the water channel is not visible in the picture. It would be located at the top of the aqueduct, which is not shown in detail from this angle. The focus is on the arches and the overall structure. Wow. So one thing I think about is like, it's a little hard to conceptualize. I want a 3D model under my hands. That's mm -hmm. really what yes, I want the yes. most. But these are sort of helpful. And I imagine being someone living at that time period, and maybe you live in the country and you don't know that much about Rome, and then you're on a trip and then you're looking... Oh, and the awe that you would experience to see something like that for the first time. Because even now, for us, it's an awe-inspiring thing, and yeah. we're used to big buildings Three and structures. Three levels with that one, right? And you right? imagine the kids playing on it and stuff like that. <laughs> you picture what it would be like climbing up to the top or or even go for the goal of, I wonder if we can swim in that. Yeah, I don't want right. to get into that thought. But, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if people did that. I don't know. About I that. bet they did. Or let it, and let it carry them, right? Like, we like a transport. <laughs> the lazy river. The lazy oh, river. Oh, my that gosh. The first Give me an inner tube. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, Chris. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Okay. R really dig this segment, actually. Uh, I think it just gives some, some insight into people into what they maybe take for granted that uh, we would love to learn about, too. That was Christine oh, Malik. Yeah. She joins us on the third Thursday of the month for Curious Minds. Coming up next, it is your segment, man. It's the weekly roundtable led by you, on which we're joined by our friend Mark Phoenix. 
It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. Hi, I'm Stephen Scott. Join me every day for Double Tap. It's a show where we occasionally talk about technology for blind and partially sighted people. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts.